Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to be with you again. The past two weeks, I was blessed to be on vacation. Jana and I took our uh, unearned government stimulus monies, and, um, and we spent over a week in Switzerland. This was right outside our chalet, just down the hill. Yes, it was very, very lovely. No, we did not bring you any chocolate. Uh, or if I did, I ate it on the way home. Sorry. Not sorry, actually. Um, anyway, but today... <clears throat> full of chocolate, I get to be back in the saddle starting a new sermon series. We're, we're studying some incredible psalms, some songs of wonder, the ones in your Bible, the psalms in your Bible that are labeled of the sons of Korah. That's what we're going to look through the next few days. Our church planner, Chad Bailey, put this whole series together. He did, he did excellent research. For example, just for today's message, Chad read the following authors and summarized them for me so that it would help me on my work. He read Charles Spurgeon and Temper Longman and C.S. Lewis, N.T. Wright, Arthur Pink, Gerald Wilson, and A.W. Tozier. Isn't that great? Now, that is similar to what the sons of Korah did. Here's their story, okay? There was a man named Kohath. Uh, you get to say his name. That's your fancy name for the day, Kohath, on the count of three. One, two, three, Kohath. Uh, he was the chief guardian of God's tabernacle under Moses. And here's what you need to know about Kohath. When everybody else was unfaithful, when everybody else did their jobs poorly, he stood his ground. He was faithful. He was a really, really trustworthy man, did his job. Later, he had a son named Korah. That's your fa second fancy name for the day. On the count of three, you can say Korah. One, two, three. Korah. Korah, his son, took over from dad, and he also was a very, very faithful servant. In fact, he became fairly famous even outside of Israel. So, 500 years later, King David is setting things up for his son Solomon to build the permanent temple in Jerusalem, right? So, King David tapped the descendants of Korah to be the guardians of the temple. There are lots of Korahs in your Old Testament, but whenever you see the sons of Korah, it's talking about these offspring of Korah and Kohath. They called themselves the sons of Korah, and they were very zealous to live up to their ancestry. Look up here. First Chronicles chapter 9 tells you a, a little bit about them. Shalom, son of Korah, son of Ebiasaph, son of Korah, and his relatives from his ancestral family, the Korahites, were assigned to guard the thresholds. Their ancestors had been assigned to the Lord's camp as guardians of the entrance to the tabernacle. Verse 23, so they and their sons were assigned as guards to the gates of the Lord's temple, which had been the tent temple. Stop there. Most of those sons of Korah worked at the temple only one week a year. They were on a rotation basis. One week a year, they would go and do their duty. But some of them were permanently stationed in Jerusalem to serve in the temple. Some of them were, um, were stewards. They, they opened up the temple every morning, and they would close it at night. Uh, some of them were guardians. They guarded the temple treasury, which was very, very important. Um, a number of them were bakers. They made the special showbread. They're my favorites. Um, the, uh, and then most famous of all were the singers. Same passage, 1 Chronicles 9. Look at this, verse 33. The singers, the heads of the Levite family, stayed in the temple chambers and were exempt from other tasks because they were on duty day and night. Those singers who were there all the time, working all the time, they apparently collected songs that were written by other people, and then they published them. Eleven of those songs made it into the book we call Psalms in the Old Testament. Those psalms that are collected by them are dedicated to the sons of Korah, a song of the sons of Korah. These songs hold great import for us as, well, obviously they're God's inspired words, but specifically these songs of the sons of Korah teach us many different aspects about living in, in God's wonder. 
And that's the theme of our series. Look here, Pastor Chad's summary of what these psalms are all about. Chad wrote, God deserves our worship. Amen? Amen. But what's more, he delights in our worship. Ever more so, the more we delight in him. So the question becomes, how can we delight more in the object of our worship? The answer is wonder. We wonder at beautiful, captivating things that we may not understand at first and yet feel drawn toward. We wonder at things that that may even appear quite complicated, but are nonetheless deserving of deep discovery. And thus, God is the most worthy of wonder. Wonder that leads us together into a higher, happier worship of who He is and all He does. All God's people said? Now, here's our premise. Why, Why study this now, at this period in time, in our church, in our culture, in our world? Why are we studying the songs of the sons of Korah right now? Here's the premise. God made humans with emotions. And we need proper outlets to investigate, think through, and enjoy our emotions. This is why we brought this up now. We see lots and lots of troubles with managing emotions in the world right now. We need an outlet for that. So the Psalms of the Sons of Korah, you know what they do? They run the gamut of human emotion. These songs draw the believer into these brilliant displays of the glorious range of God's wonder-worthy attributes, which, which channels our emotions into context. Bottom line, we need what these songs offer. We need the wonder of God in every tear, every laugh, fear, and joy, which takes us to our serious objective. This is what we hope to see God change in us, achieve in us, in our souls over the coming days. Our objective is that the psalmist's desire and desperation for God would be contagious. And we would see God magnified in our eyes, wondering anew at the always good and never-changing character of our God. Bishop Bright's comment on this is so accurate. I place it in our notes. If you're, if you're online, we are so thrilled to have you with us today. Thank you for being with us. Um, you should have a link uh, from your host. Just go there for the notes. If you're in the auditorium, open up your bullets and look there, and you'll see N.T. Wright's uh, really great summary on this. These psalms offer a way of joining in a chorus of praise and prayer, which has been going on for millennia and across all cultures. So let's begin our journey through Korah's greatest hits, Okay. Open your Bible to Psalm 42, Psalm 42, 42 and 43, where the soul cries out. Psalm 42, for the choir director, a maskil of the sons of Korah. No, I don't know what maskil means. Uh, Nobody does. Um, We we have to speculate because it's a word that dropped out of usage. The, The actual Hebrew term comes from a word that means skillful. So it may mean a skillful kind of song, okay? A maskil of the sons of Korah, wrote the rabbis at the top. And then the text, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where's your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Verse 6, I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. Isn't that brilliant poetry? Deep calls to deep. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. Faithful love there is the Hebrew word hesed. It's an awesome word. It it means the the unchanging, unbreakable affection and commitment of God. This is 
Hesed is a love that cannot be shattered. Uh, so the Hesed, uh, the Lord will send his Hesed, his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones, while all day long they say to me, where's your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, 43. Vindicate me, God. And champion my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from the deceitful and unjust person, for you are the God of my refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? Send your light and truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Then I will come to the altar of God, to God, my greatest joy. I will praise you with the lyre, God, my God. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior, and my God. Of course, I know, I know what you're thinking. I know, in your, um, in your Geneva accent, <clears throat> you're asking right now, uh, why did the pastor read both Psalms as if they are one unit? Huh? Why did you do that? You read the 42, 43 as if they are one thing. Great question. Thank you for asking. I did so because these songs work together. Look, there are several factors that suggest these two Psalms should be read as a unified composition. Did you notice 43 had no, um, no header? Now, those, those aren't scripture. Those aren't God's word, but those were added long, 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 long time ago by rabbis. And when you don't see one, that's very telling. Uh, look what uh, Dr. Wilson says. Psalm 43 has uh, no heading. That indicates, that like, uh, like Psalms 9 and 10, there was a rabbinic tradition for reading these together. And by the way, it must have been a fairly strong tradition because a number of our manuscripts of the Psalms don't separate these two. They, they keep them together. And you noticed, of course, I think the strongest argument for these being a unit is the repeated refrains, I will still praise him, 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 all right? I think it's most likely these two psalms were actually one unit comprising one big idea. Here's one big idea from the sons of Korah. The soul cries out in pain to God and finds hope through memory of truth. And that is a regular part of everyday life. These two psalms, they, they expose a continual process. Look, th th this is a repeated part of life here between Eden and heaven. Uh, look, look, this is so well done. There are three aspects of this primal cry to God. In our hurt, we long for something better, something greater. And then, you saw this four times in this psalm, we stop and we think on truth. Shema, the Hebrew word, remember, dwell on this. And then, that inevitably leads to hope in God. Do you see the pattern? Do you see how this, do you see how this works? It's displaying a process as part of everyday life, and I do mean every day. Let's do this. Let's do this. If you have ever been just bothered by life, if you've ever longed for something greater, if you've ever been depressed or oppressed ever in your life, raise your hand if you've ever had those emotions. Raise them really high. Keep them up. Keep them up. Now, put your hand down if you have only had that emotion one time. All right, all the hands down. You, you see the point. This is a regular part of life, right? And because this is repeated through our days, the process is repeated four times in a continuous flow in Psalms 42 and 43. It starts with the heartbreaking cry in 42. Go back to 42. Let's read verses uh, 1 through 3 again. This beautiful, painful text. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where's your God? 
heartbreaking cry, longing for God. And then verse 4, I remember. See, there's the shift. That's the linchpin right there. Shema, the Hebrew word, I think, I remember, I dwell on this. And then verse 5 has the person speaking to himself, hope in God. Hope in God. I will still praise him. Do you see? We, we, we long for better in our hurt, we speak truth to ourselves, and we hope in God. And then the process repeats uh, starting in verse 6. Now, 42.6 is very succinct. It says, I am deeply depressed. That's the whole extent of the lament this time. But by the way, the word we translate deeply depressed is a, an iteration of the verb shinuhed. Shinuhed uh, originally meant to melt away. Suppose you leave your fantastic Swiss chocolate out in the alpine sun on accident. I know, is that the saddest slide I've ever done? It's very depressing, right? That shinyun head, it meant melt away. Is that a perfect verb for depression? You just feel like you're just melting away. It's such a good word, it made its way all the way into modern Arabic where it's used as a word for sinking into the ground, for, for quicksand, shinyun uh, head, right? This is, this is depressing. So verse 6 has this heartbreaking cry, I am deeply depressed. But the next part of verse 6 contains the memory. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, the, the river that flows to the center of Israel, to the peaks of Hermon, the great Mount Hermon up in the far northern part of Israel that's got snow on it all the time, and Mount Mitzar, which we don't know where that is. It was a name for a mountain that's been changed. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. Remember he was thirsty, right? Now he's remembering. God, God has provide, God's provided for me more than a little water. Deep calls to deep, all your breakers and billows. The Lord will send his faithful love, his hesed by day, and his song will be with me in the night. Remembering truth. And then the, and then the hope of God follows, verse, the end of verse 8. A prayer to the God of my life. I, I hope in God. He's the God of my life. I find breath in him. I find hope in him. You, you see the cycle? The third cycle begins with the pain of verse 9, and, and that goes through verse 10. The memory is in the first part of verse 11, and I really like this one. The psalmist, <laughs> by verse 11, he's getting a little frustrated with himself. Maybe you can relate to that. He kicks his own brain, really, and he says, hey, dummy, get your head up and remember what's true. And then the second part of verse 11 has a response to hope in God and praise him still, even, even in the wretched pain of life. Psalm 43 is the fourth cycle, the last strophe. Uh, verses 1 and 2 contain the ache, right, and 3 through the first part of verse 4, holds the memory. Now, this memory is slightly different. The other three remember moments were about past experiences or they're about things that one already knows to be true. But this one, the memory in verse 43, is a memory of something that is known to be true but has not yet been experienced. Look, look, look at your text. He's not talking about the physical temple where Korah's people served. He's discussing the eternal temple of God in heaven. The writer knows that believers in God's grace have access now. We have access now to the place where they are one day going to live with new bodies, the very throne of God. Verse 4, look at it. Then I will come to the altar of God, to God my greatest joy. That's a memory. And then the last part, 40, uh, verse 4, the last part in verse 5 has the response of praise and hope and peace. Um, like verse 2, verse 5 copies the exact words from Psalm 42. <clears throat> some, of you, some of you have been deployed overseas, right? You have been away from family for long, long periods of time. There is a, there is a longing that tears at your soul 
when, you're, when you are separated from family, from home for a long period of time, right? It is awful. But you remember. You remember home. And you, and you long for and you live for those moments when you get to actually talk to everybody back home. And you remember, you know, even though you haven't experienced it yet, you know that this tour is going to end. It is going to end, and by God's grace, you are going to go back home, back where you belong. That's the end of the strophe in Psalm 43. That's the response of, of praise, because you know what is true. Now, let's dive into specifics. Right side of your notes, we have room to discuss how we ache as ones who are designed for something good. Let's get into the ache a little more. Life involves hurt. Newsflash, life is pain, Highness, Right? Yes, there is an anticipation of God's provision all the time. Yes, there is a reality of good things that are true now, but that doesn't change the pain. You know, everybody knows. I don't, I don't care if you're a believer in Christ or not. You know deep down that this isn't enough, that we are made for more. But, but if you're honest, you know we can't get there. We cannot get there by ourselves. We can't even get there with a little help from our friends, Right? When we're honest, we know that we not only can't reach, listen to this now, we not only can't reach the perfection for which we long, we know that we actually make everything worse. Just you and me, we, you and I make things worse. Look, hurting people hurt people, right? Hurting people hurt people. Since every one of us is hurting, we are all, by definition, disseminators of hurt. I have never seen this outside of the Bible. I've never seen this depicted better than Johnny Cash in the video he made for his 2002 cover of the song Hurt. I want you to look and listen. If, if you get cut off online, it's because of copyright issues. We will get you right back. Okay, here we go. I wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's chair. Full of broken thoughts I cannot repair Beneath the stains of time The feelings disappear You are someone else I am still right here What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt. Powerful poem, isn't it? It's actually written by this guy, by Trent Reznor. 
uh, and then it was modified and covered by Johnny Cash. By the way, Cash's work is so profound on that song that Trent Reznor in an interview said, that's Johnny's song now. He, he made it live. There's a music writer named uh, Lisa Lunny, and I really like her insights on this, on this poem. Here's what she says. Some may read this song, uh, some may say this song reads like a suicide note with notes of depression. If you look deeper, you'll find this song is a message of wanted hope, someone finding a reason to live. A man so lost in his sadness, he feels the world is moving by as he stands still. We can all relate to loneliness, feeling left behind. You are someone else. I am still right here. This haunting verse makes you think deeper into your life and the root of your own sadness. But Cash's rendition makes you rethink your judgment of yourself and others. Everyone gets lost, but it doesn't mean there's not still time for a second chance, an opportunity to start again and find a way. In such sadness and despair, hope can be found. It's a lyrical life lesson and a four-minute song that will always stay with you. Now, what she said about that song, Hurt, is exactly what I would say about the four repetitions of longing in Psalm 42 and 43. It involves hurt, but it doesn't end there. It leads directly to hope in God. Our longing involves hurt, especially our panting need for fellowship with God. Look at Dr. Wilson's comment. Uh, Wilson said this, Few images in the Psalter exceed the beauty of the opening lines of this psalm, Psalm 42. The soul, nephesh, of the psalmist pants for God like a deer for scarce water in the midst of a drought. Here Yahweh is seen as the source of life and refreshment that satisfies the longing of the psalmist to meet with God. The emphasis is not just on his utter dependence on God for life, while that is, of course, assumed. It is rather the joy and the pleasure of being in God's presence that the psalmist misses and longs to restore, close quote. And that brings up a serious concern I have for myself and for many of you. Some have been believers in Jesus so long that we have become rather complacent about the truly wonderful blessings of daily life in Christ. There's these wonderful blessings all around us, and we're too bored to notice. Further, you and I live in a time of remarkable comfort and, and entertainment. And that is a very, very dangerous combination. Comfort and entertainment combined can be flat out deadly to our understanding of our need for fellowship with God. I think we'd do really well to break out of that and imitate instead the great American biographer. About 100 years ago, Gamaliel Bradford was probably the most famous biographer in America. Here's what he did. He took Psalm 42 and 43, and he, he connected it to himself. Here's what he wrote. My one unchanged ambition, wheresoever my feet have trod, is a keen, enormous, haunting, never-sated thirst for God. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Gamaliel Bradford. He was independently wealthy. This guy was very, very well off. He didn't have to work at all, but he chose to anyway. He became a writer, and he was probably the most celebrated writer of his day, at least the most celebrated biographer. And yet, Gamaliel Bradford lived in serious physical pain every day of his life. And, and he, he called that pain, and I quote him here, the pain is my wonderful teacher because the pain made him ache for God and the real life that is promised in eternity. By contrast, you and I work assiduously to make all our hurts go away, and then we live in complacent boredom, all right? Now, it is, don't misunderstand, it is fine and good and biblical to seek healing and peace, 
But we are actually healthiest when we embrace every chance, including pain, every chance to know that this is not our home. Instead of embracing adventure, you know what most people do. They try to mask their pain, right? They, 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 they pretend or they hide, usually with alcohol or drugs. Those are the most popular. That was Trent Reznor's point in the song Hurt, very first verse. Look what Reznor wrote. He said, I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. The needle tears a hole, the old familiar sting. Try to kill it all away, but I remember everything. Masking doesn't work. The hurt is always present. I remember everything. So instead of pretending, instead of masking pain, instead of whining, we've got to remember truth. We remember truth. Look at the things that the sons of Korah remembered in these two psalms. First thing, uh, verse 4 of uh, 42, they remember joy and thanksgiving as they're worshiping with many brethren. It's camp. That's what they were. They're remembering camp, right? The joy of worshiping with all their brethren. Look what they remember. Creation is remembered. Jordan and Hermon, the land of Israel and in all the earth. God's hesed, that incredible Hebrew word for loving, committed, unbreakable love. That's remembered. That's the song in the night. That's the support during the day. God's love which cannot be severed. Look what they remember. The need to kick the self in the bottom, right? Why so dejected? By the way, that Calvin cartoon where he has that, the best line is at the end of that strip where he says, I don't know why no one's buying this. I have what everyone needs. Um, <laughs> why so downcast, O oh my soul, said the old translations. The kick in the bottom. Look what they remember. Fifth thing they remember is the believer's promise of peace in God's presence forever. That is a refuge for us now, and it is a physical reality in the age to come. Let me ask you this. When you're down, which of these are you most likely to remember? Are joy and thanksgiving in times of, of real joy, mountaintop experiences with God and with the brethren. Creation, remember God's amazing work in creation, God's hesed. The, the need, do you remember the need to kick yourself in the bottom? Um, the, the promise of the presence of God now and forever. Which are you most likely to remember? Um, it's a close contest for me, but, but for me, I'm most likely to remember the third one. Uh, I, I really have found that engraved in my soul has been the beauty of God's hesed. And that's my, that's my go-to response when I'm really, when I hurt, when I'm down. How about you? Let me ask some volunteers. Which one of these are you most likely to remember when, when you're feeling defeated or depressed or, or, or down? Raise your hand. Tell me, somebody. Yeah, which one? Creation. Very nice. Had a lot of that in Switzerland last week. Who else? Come on, somebody. Give me, raise your hand. Which one are you most likely to remember? Yeah, Jimmy. The joy and Thanksgiving. Camp. You remember camp? Yeah. Which one, Scott? The swift kick. The swift kick in the bottom. You, everyone needs what you're selling. Right. Okay. Now, now that's cool. Let's, let's flip it. When, when you're feeling down, which one are you least likely to remember? Which one are you least likely to remember? For me, it's, uh, it's the fifth one. I get, I get so caught up in the, the stuff of earth, which, which is fine. I get so caught up in stuff. I forget, I forget to focus on the things to come. Uh, how about you? Which one are you least likely to remember? Let me have some. Who's brave? Who will volunteer for us? Which one? Yes. The swift kick. The swift kick. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Very good. You got one back there? Oh, no, you were just scratching. Okay. That's all right. You're allowed. Uh, let me have one more. Who else volunteer? The swift kick. Yeah. What? The joy. The joy and the worship. At least if that one's easy to forget. All right. The, the point is we got to remember all of these. Every one of these matters. We've got to remember these often. This is the turning point. This is the lynch. 
Hurt is real, but the memory, that's what changes. David Wade of our pulpit team explained why this is so important. Sent me this note. He said, Wayne, a few years ago, I was taught the value of knowing who we are in Christ. And here he listed a number of scriptures about that. I was taught the value of knowing who we are in Christ and the need to continually remind myself of these truths. Reciting these verses to myself every morning and thanking God for what he has done has been a wonderful blessing. And it helps stabilize me, and here he quotes Hamlet, against the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Close quote. So, we ache, we long for God, we remember, and then we hope in God. This is the end result, the hope in God. This overcomes, this leads to praise. Pastor Chad sent me a great note about this. This is from the famous uh, British preacher of the 19th century, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. As though he were two men, Spurgeon says, the psalmist talks to himself. His faith reasons with his fears. His hope argues with his sorrows. It's well said. Now, Chad followed this. Pastor Chad followed that up with a note of his own, which actually I thought was even, even stronger, even deeper, so I put it in your notes. Uh, Chad wrote me this. He said, despite his various grievances, the psalmist turns to his God, who is the source of life and the God of his life. Likewise, we're always facing some kind of difficulty and also need to constantly take thoughts captive, remembering the truth, truth about who God is, all he has done, all he has said in his word. Our faith, this is well said, our faith was designed for difficulty. And it is often when life is hard that our faith gets to work the most. These psalms show us what it means to need God, to want God, to trust in God, finding that he is always able, always able to save, rescue, and satisfy. Close quote. Lason Ward of our team added this thought. She said, we may never receive comfort or reward for our sufferings this side of heaven, yet God is still working it all for our good. Our good isn't always our definition of good. Sometimes it's for the good of our discipline, for the good of our sanctification, for the good of the glory we're able to return back to Yahweh in worshiping Him. It is still good even when it doesn't feel like it. God has declared it to be so. All God's people said? However, yeah, I know. I, I, I understand. That brings up the excellent question that you're asking in your, uh, in your imitation of a Swiss person from the German-speaking part of the country. You're asking, how? How does one move from aching to remembering, ich vergessen, from remembering to hoping in God? How does this happen? I see the pattern, but I don't know how to do it. Good questions. Thank you for asking. Here's a few practical steps that may help you. I've just got four for you. Step number one, watch what you're taking in. Uh, Kendra Nash is an author. She recently posted on her social media this. Our minds are easily influenced, but we control what the influences are. Choose wisely. Just think it through, okay? If, if you watch HGTV all the time, how do you feel about your house? <laughs> right? If, if you read pulp magazines all the time, you actually begin to think that beauty products are the answer to life. Right? If you're on social media all the time, it is so subtle, but you, you begin to think that what matters in life, what, what really is important, is other people's opinion which is biblically absurd, right? These things aren't all bad, but they make it very hard to remember what is true. The Shema becomes hard when we're surrounded with that. So it's really important to unplug from other input and take time every day to pray and read your Bible. Uh, Many of the leaders in our church set aside 15 minutes every day to be quiet, to be away from other input, to read Scripture, and to pray. Now, we're not limited to that time frame, but it really helps us shema. It helps us remember. 
How can we move into remembering and thus into hoping of God? Watch your input. Secondly, preach the gospel to yourself. Jerry Bridges said this, at least every time he and I were together, the great Jerry Bridges said this, preach the gospel to yourself every day. He was building on a comment that is attributed to Martin Luther. We can't find it in his writings, but we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day, right? And just in case you've forgotten today, here's the gospel. You know what the gospel is? This is it in a nutshell. Humans are depraved. We are inherently sinful. We cannot get to where Even if you're not a believer in Christ, you feel in your soul and you know this is not enough. That's why you keep trying to fill it with other junk. I, I grabbed Ecclesiastes 7. There are hundreds of passages. I just grabbed these ones off the top of my head. Jesus, here's the rest of the gospel. Jesus is fully God the Son. He exists in, in eternal community and unity with God the Father and God the Spirit. And God the Son, the triune God, chose to send God the Son because He loves you and He loves me. And God the Son, Jesus, came to this earth as a full human. He chose to die on the cross. He made Himself the substitutionary sacrifice for human sin. He paid the debt that was owed that we could not pay. He made the way for us to have a relationship with God because did he stay dead? Yes or no? No, no. He, he conquered death. Irrefutable fact. He conquered sin and death. And, and here's the end of the gospel. If you believe in him, if you trust him, you are placed in him and you are reborn to the eternal temple of God forever. You are reborn to eternal life. Amen. Let's pray through that together. Father, I praise you and I thank you for the truth of the gospel, even though it hurts. It hurts to recognize that I am depraved, that I cannot get to where I need to go, not even with a little help from my friends. <laughs> Funny, that song, Lord, was actually written about masking pain, <laughs> and that doesn't work. Trent Reznor was right. It doesn't work. We just hurt and we spread hurt, but we praise you that Jesus, you who are fully God, God the Son, you became human and gave yourself as the sacrifice for my sin. There's a reason Johnny Cash in that video had Jesus being crucified as he talked about how he, Johnny, causes hurt. You were crucified for me. And I thank you. And then you conquered sin and death. You rose from the grave so that because I believe in you, I am guaranteed everlasting life. I have hope in God. My life. God, my life, says the psalmist. Friend, listen, if you have never believed in Jesus as Savior, I encourage you to do so right now. Trust him. Receive the gospel, the good news. Believe on Jesus as Savior. If you're, if you're online and you've trusted Jesus this morning, please let your host know. We want to rejoice with you. If you're here in the auditorium, raise your hand. I want to rejoice with you real quickly. If you trusted Jesus today, raise your hand. Amen. Father, I pray for all these believers, new and old, that we will preach this gospel to ourselves every day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, how? How, how can one move from the everyday pain, right? Pain's part of every day to remembering, and to hoping God. Be, be quiet in the Bible, right? Unplug, check your input.
Preach the gospel to yourself. Third technique is to journal. You know, one sure way to make sure that you remember how God has provided is to journal. Talk about all the stuff, all the hurts, all the pains, and then go back and see how God worked through the situation. Writing things down helps us remember. By the way, it also helps us go back and reflect on the whole sequence. When you go back and look at your journal, you see hurt, memory, hope. It's, it's very, very clear. Uh, we were discussing this, and Lason Ward uh, made this comment. She said, journaling is also helpful, Wayne, in a particularly cringe-inciting manner to see how horrible your theology used to be. <laughs> it's good to praise God for his correction. Amen? Now, there are other disciplines that are going to help different people, but I recommend especially that you try these. Journaling, preach the gospel to yourself, watch your intake, and worship in song. Worship in song. When we were in Switzerland last week, I drove our friends crazy because I was singing a lot. I sang all the time, right? Here's why I was singing so much. Whenever my knee hurt, and we were in mountains and my knee hurt all the time, I would sing. I would sing because singing helped me walk from hurt through memory to hope in God. Whenever I found myself being concerned about those who were back home, about the needs of people back here, I would sing. I would sing praises to God. It wasn't pretty. My singing can be summarized in this mangled line from a song. The hills are alive and it's very frightening. That's my singing, right? But that doesn't matter. The prettiness of voice isn't the point. The point is worshiping in song made me remember. And remembering, I began to hope again in God. You know, that may be why throughout the Psalms, God commands us so many times to sing a new song. You ever notice that? So many times, sing a new song, sing a new song, sing a new song to the Lord. And I think it's because when we, when we learn a new song, it, it forces us out of the rut and we go back to the hurt and then we walk through the memory and then we end up hoping in God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to learn a new song together. This is a modern hymn. It's taken straight from Psalm 42. It's called, Lord from Sorrows Deep I Call. It's going to begin in hurt. It's going to move to memory. And then, and then in that truth, it's going to climb up to hope. As you, as you pick up the simple tune, sing, sing with us. <laughs> 